I've heard, often heard people say, God won't put any more on you than you can handle if you will call on him, ask for his help, and then take his direction. He will bring you through whatever. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today's guests remind us that no matter the challenges we face, with God's help, we can survive life's toughest moments. Music legend Gloria Gaynor and author Jeff Huxford. First up, it's hard to think of an anthem more iconic than Gloria Gaynor's 1978 blockbuster hit, I Will Survive. And while those lyrics have come to mean many things to fans all over the world, today we learn how the words of I Will Survive, coupled with her strong faith in God, fueled Gloria to keep going through both the hard and good times in her life. I'm Gloria Gaynor, performing artist, singer, and writer, and author, and, um, well, I was going to say psychologist, but that wouldn't be fair. I only went to school for it. <laughs> I've never practiced. But um, this is my life, and I love it. I grew up in Newark, New Jersey, and um, my mo- we were poor, quite poor. But as I often say, children don't know they're poor as long as they're loved. So we didn't know we were poor because we were very much loved. And my mother was a really great cook. And um, with the meager means that she had, she managed to pull together meals that would bring in our friends. And they would leave their fresh cuts of steak and and, uh, lamb chops and chicken and all that to come and have uh, some stew with us that my mother had done. She couldn't sometimes afford even the baking powder to make the bread rise. So she would make it a flat bread and she'd make it in animal shapes. So that it'd be fun for us. And we'd just sit around the table and laugh and talk and have fun and everything. And so it was a very happy household. Even the neighborhood was really happy because during the summer, we would come out on the streets. One kid would come out with a guitar and start playing. Somebody else would come out with bongos and join him. And then some other would come and singing. Before you knew it, there was a crowd, half singing, half listening, right on the street corners. And this happened all summer long. When I grew up and moved, was able to leave the area where I grew up, I was very sad for the rest of the world to find that they didn't have that because that was a wonderful thing to me that the entire neighborhood came together almost like a family um, and, and just enjoying life. Faith was a part of my childhood because my mother was inundated with church, church as a child and made a silent vow that when she grew up and had children, she wouldn't make them go to church. So she didn't make us go to church. but. Having been so inundated with church herself, that's all she knew. So that's what she taught us. She taught us the, the principles and the, and the morals of the Bible, and that's what we knew. I remember the day that I decided I wanted to be a singer. I was standing in the hallway of my apartment building waiting for uh, my friend to come down and play, and I was singing, Why Do Fools Fall in Love by Frankie Lyman. Frankie Lyman and I were the same age. And when uh, a neighbor came downstairs, an adult came downstairs, and when I heard her get close to me, I stopped singing. But when she reached me, she said, Gloria, was that you singing? And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, my goodness, you sound just like the radio. I thought you were the radio. And I thought, oh my God, I can do this. I can totally do what Frankie Lyman is doing. I'm, I'm gonna be a singer. That's what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna be a singer. 
And my brothers all sang. They had great voices. They sang together, formed a little street quartet. And it never, of course, went any further than the street, but we had fun with it. And I wanted to sing with them, but I was a girl. So there was no way. I mean, my mother would make them take me with them whenever they went out to play and everything. That was enough. You know, that's like, no, this it ends here. So I just wanted somebody to hear me sing. I didn't care about accolades or applause. I just wanted somebody to hear me sing. So my girlfriend called and asked me to babysit for her. And I was on my first uh, day of my two week vacation. And I told her, you got two weeks and so you have to get somebody else. So I went to babysit for her. And while I was there, the first day I heard somebody walking in the apartment above. And I thought, if I can hear them walking, they can hear me singing if I sing out. So I began to follow those footsteps, and when it stopped, I would stop and sing. And I did this every day for the two weeks that I was babysitting for her. Well, a few weeks later, my brother and I stopped into a nightclub and uh, to hear this band. And while we're sitting waiting for service, the band had started playing, and they were playing a song that I knew. So I'm sitting there just singing to myself. No one could hear me, but I was singing to myself. And then someone got on the stage and said, ladies and gentlemen, there's a young lady in the audience. She has a wonderful voice. I don't know her last name, but her first name is Gloria. And if we give her a good round of applause, maybe we can get her up to sing a number. And I thought, oh my God, and he was looking right at me. Well, this was an opportunity I'd been waiting for for years. I wasn't about to give it up, and my brother wasn't about to let me. So I got up and very timidly walked toward the, toward the uh, stage and took the microphone and told them I wanted to sing the song that I'd been singing in my seat, because I knew that I could sing it in the key that they were playing it in. So that was, song was Save Your Love For Me by Nancy Wilson. I sang the song, I got a standing ovation, made it back to my seat, and I was like so excited. And they, the band came over to me afterwards and said, we um, want you to come and sing with us. I, we have a singer already, but she's very unreliable. She hasn't even shown up tonight. Would you come and sing with us? I'm like, oh my God, of course I'll come and sing with you. But how do you know, how did you know that I could sing? Turns out, the owner of the club was the man whose footsteps I was singing to in the apartment above me. So when he, one day he, he heard my girlfriend call me out the window and he looked out to see who she was talking to. And so that's how he got my first name and, and, and recognized me. When I came into the club and told the band about me and, and I can look back over my life and see so many God moments, but that is one that got me started on the path that has led me here today the song, I Will Survive. I had come out of the hospital from having surgery on my spine, and um, I had lost everything because I'd been in hospital for from the middle of March until the 3rd of July, and I hadn't paid my rent because I didn't have any money, I wasn't working, and um, no, had no income. And I'm praying, of course, you know, God, please, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I, I don't have any work. I don't know anything else to do. I don't want to go back to a day job. You've got to do something. And so uh, the record company had said they were not going to renew my contract, that um, uh, they were just going to let it die. And people were going around the record company saying the queen is dead because I was had been queen of disco. So uh, I was, you know, just leaving it up to him. I was fully assured that God would do something, just didn't know what. Turns out that the record company uh, 
called me and said that they were not going to let my contract die. They were going to renew it because they'd gotten a new president over from England where I was popular. And he had had a success with a recording over there called Substitute. He wanted to repeat that success in the United States, specifically with me. So they sent me out to California to record that song. And when I was there, I asked the producers, what was the B-side? Well, they had made a deal with the record company that they would record me singing Substitute if they could write the B-side. So I said, okay, so what is it? What, what's, what's the song? And they said, well, what kind of songs do you like? I said, I like songs that are meaningful, that, that, that have lyrics that touch people's hearts, that have good melodies. They said, we think you're the one we've been waiting for to record this song we wrote two years ago. And I said, oh my God, what song is that? And they didn't have it with them, so they wrote it down on a brown piece of uh, paper bag and gave it to me. And I'm reading the lyrics, and I'm thinking, what are you, nuts? You're going to put this on the B-side? I said to them, this is a timeless lyric. Anybody and everybody can relate to this. I hear, I'm sitting here with my back in a brace, and I'm relating that to this song. I'm relating to this song, the fact that my mother passed away a few years ago and something I never thought I'd survive. And the audience immediately loved it. And um, the rest is history. I've always believed that the song celebrates the tenacity of the human spirit, a God-given ability to, uh, of course, with his help, to overcome anything. And Jesus Calling has given me the perfect thing for that. I think it's May 18th, and it says, forget about your plans for the day. Seek my plan for your day, because if you don't, you're going to miss all of the wonderful things that I've prepared for you. And so I'm following that every day. I read whatever day it is, but I always read that every day. I read that because that's what I want to do. I want to make sure that I'm in God's plan. Another thing, my pastor, Pastor A.R. Bernard, another thing he often says is, if you want to be successful in life, find out what God is doing and get in on it. So that's what I plan to do. Just follow his plan. This was after I will survive and it was thriving and I was thriving in my career. And, and my mother had passed away and I, I kind of lost my compass and um, was trying to be in with the in crowd. I'd always been a wallflower. So I'm trying to, you know, live up to my sort of uh, the expectation of my audience, you know, and be this star and be among all the other stars and have all these friends and all of this. But it wasn't really who I am. So I'm at a party one day that my husband and I had pulled together, kind of a get together in our hotel suite. And I remember specifically the Holy Spirit grabbing me in my collar like this and saying, that's enough. And I was visibly shaken. I got up from where I was sitting and I went into the bathroom and I'm going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I was like kind of thinking, not saying, but thinking, what was that, what was that? And while I'm saying, oh my God, oh my God, I realized that was my God. Saying to me, like a mother tells a kid, okay, you've been piddling around over there long enough. You know you're not supposed to be doing that. Get away from that, that's enough. And, and I, I just pulled away. I never went back to a scene like that again. 
And that started me on the path. I went, came back home and decided that I should go to church. And I went to church with my godmother a couple of times, was bored to tears, falling asleep. But one day, probably the third time that I went with her, someone was being accepted as a member of the church. They were coming from another church. And they asked them, did they believe in the death that Christ had lived and died for their sins and rose again? And they said yes, and they accepted them. And I thought, oh, you have to do that. You have to say that to join the church. Um, I did really, really did want to join, but I really have too much respect for God to stand up in church and lie. And and I don't know anything about that. I, I always thought that Jesus was a good man. He was a prophet, you know, and I was afraid to put him on the level with God. I'd always prayed to God. I never prayed to any Jesus. So I really didn't understand that. And I went back home and uh I pulled out the Bible that that, uh, some girl in California had given me. I pulled it out and blew the dust off it, (laughs) sat down with it. And I realized in in retrospect that I was sassing God, as they say here in the South. And, uh, but I sat down with that Bible and I said, okay, God, show down. I wanna know who is this Jesus? If you can talk to a preacher, a priest, a rabbi, you can talk to me, I'm here listening, talk. And he started talking. And the first thing he said was, open the book. I opened the book and it just fell open to the center. And in the center of the book, on one side of the page was a list of prophecies of the forthcoming Messiah. On the other side, there was a list of, of scriptures as to how Christ had fulfilled those prophecies. And the one that struck me the hardest was Isaiah 7:14. For behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Those words hit me like a ton of bricks. I was so penitent in that moment. I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I didn't know. I'm so sorry. And I I repented. And I feel so privileged that the Holy Spirit walked me through that Bible. Every time I had the opportunity, I sat down every day when I was at home, sat down at my dining room table with that Bible and other books that I'd I'd bought. And he just taught me foundations of the faith about his love, his mercy, his grace, and has continued to show me who he is. And how faithful he is so faithful. It is incredible how he is always there for you. Well, you know, when God has a timing, timetable, and you run out ahead of God, you end up out there by yourself. But this is the right time. God has set everything in motion. He's... He's got everything set up so that, you know, things are just flowing so nicely. I mean, Testimony was out three days and was number three on the charts. That's God. I mean, that just so rarely, rarely, rarely happens. And so I believe that the God, this is God's timing, and his timing is always perfect. I believe that this, this album is anointed. 
to teach, to admonish, to uplift, to encourage, to empower people, to make it through the difficult times in their lives, to celebrate the wonderful times in their lives. Jason Crabb is on the album. Bart Millard is on the album. Such soulful singers. And Yolanda Adams, of course, is incredible. And so I'm I'm so excited and I'm so pleased to have all of them on this album. The song, uh, um, He Won't Let Go, that was done with, uh, with Bart. Um, that one, I feel special about that song because I think that there are a lot of people today who need to know that whatever it is you're going through, God is there for you. And as long as you are willing to hold on to him, he won't let go of you. I remember a time when I was going through something similar and I remember specifically saying, Jesus, please, I don't want to let go of your hand. And he said, don't worry, I've got your hand too. So I'm not just holding on to him, he's holding on to me and he won't let go. So that song I find very special for that reason because it is my purpose to uplift and encourage and empower people to make it through the difficult times in their lives and as I said, to celebrate the, the wonderful times in their lives. And that song, I believe, would do that. This album has a message for everybody. Hold on, stay on the path, keep the faith, and know that he won't let go. You can find out more about Gloria's new gospel album, Testimony, at GloriaGainer.com. Stay tuned for our interview with author Jeff Huxford after a brief message about a new version of Jesus Calling. Motherhood. It's a journey like no other, teeming with love, unparalleled dedication, and moments that pierce the very essence of your soul. It's a trek that demands to be celebrated, lauded, and embraced in its entirety. Celebrate the moms in your life this Mother's Day with two beautiful gift books, Jesus Calling for Moms by Sarah Young and Grace for the Moment for Moms by Max Licato. These heartfelt devotionals will remind the moms in your life just how special they are. Jesus Calling for Moms and Grace for the Moment for Moms are available now where all books are sold. During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for our special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. Jesus Calling has a wide array of book styles for all types of readers. Now, there's something new that's designed to appeal to the men in your life. The same beloved Jesus Calling content now comes in a leather soft, yet durable, slate gray cover that is perfect for the man on the go and makes a great gift for dads, uncles, brothers, whoever that special man is in your life. 
Check out the new gray leather soft edition of Jesus Calling today at jesuscalling.com or wherever Christian books are sold. Jeff Huxford was a young doctor with a long career in medicine ahead and a beautiful family by his side. But in 2012, a driver ran a red light and struck Jeff's car, leaving him with a traumatic brain injury. Though he and his family were grateful he survived, life looked vastly different than it had before his accident, which required some hard adjustments and letting go of the notion that things could go back to normal and what that would mean for the life he had worked so hard to build. My name is Jeff Huxford, and I've been married for 15 years to my wife, Jackie, and we have two children, and we currently live in Franklin, Tennessee. I was um, a family medicine doctor in northwest Indiana. We were up there living in my wife's hometown, and I started practicing medicine there in 2006. I was really doing what I envisioned myself doing. Uh, as I was going through med school, I kind of imagined myself being that type of doctor. We were living the American dream. You know, things were going just as we had planned, and we had two healthy young children. Things were going great for us. In uh, the summer of 2012, um, on the way home, driving back to the house, uh, I was in this uh, car accident at a, at a four-way stop. I was headed south through the intersection, and there was a truck that was headed uh, east through the intersection. He failed to stop at the stoplight and uh, struck me into the passenger side of my truck and ran me into a, a concrete utility pole. And the pole was was wrapped around the truck and my head, I believe my driver's side window may have been down, but my head went through the open window and slammed against the concrete pole. And uh, I suffered a traumatic brain injury from that. The ambulance ride wasn't long. The ambulance ride was literally across the street and they had a helicopter fly in. The helicopter, helicopter picked me up and flew me to Chicago. Um, so, you know, when they called my wife, they said, your husband Jeff's being a lifeline to Chicago. And you know, you hear that, you're thinking terrible things. But um, she was, I mean, she handled this whole situation far better than I would have. And so she drove to Chicago, which is about an hour and a half drive, and not knowing the whole time whether I was alive or what was going on with me. And I don't recall being at that hospital at all. After a week there, I had um, recovered enough where they thought I should start doing some uh, rehabilitation. I don't know when exactly it was, but um, there was a time where I just kind of almost woke up, I guess, and I started getting better. And that's when they decided, like, you know, I don't think he's gonna need this long-term inpatient rehab. I think he better go home and do do it outpatient. So um, after being there for three weeks, that's when I went home with my wife and kids and uh, started my outpatient therapy. I can't remember too much about early on in my recovery, but I can remember the, the doctors talking to me and my wife uh, repeatedly talking about this whole concept of a new normal. Um, after a brain injury, the person essentially becomes a new person. Um, who they were before is a thing of the past, and um, they have to be willing to accept that and figure out what that looks like for them. And uh, I guess the fact that I started getting better so quick and that gave me the impression that maybe that that would be the case for me, that I could get back to the old me or the old normal. And so that, that kind of became my goal early on. Within five months, I was back to working. 
in, uh, as a family doctor. I was only working a couple of days a week, maybe I think there maybe even half days, but this furthered the impression to me that, you know, it's going to take a while, but I'm going to get back to, I'm going to get back to normal. I don't remember exactly when it finally started to like sink in that I think they're right. I think when I, um, when I wasn't advancing in my work hours or in my workload, like I thought I would, I, uh, I kind of got, I kind of plateaued and I got up to a point where I could only see, I could only see a certain amount of patients. And anytime I had to use my brain a lot, that would fatigue me. So I would come home at night and normally I would come home before the accident, I'd come home and I'd go outside and play baseball with the kids, play basketball and, you know, do stuff around the house, mow, whatever, whatever I had to do. Or, um, they got to the point where I'd come home and I would just, Go to the go to the bedroom and just lay there, and eventually I go to sleep. So, and of course, when things are, uh, when you're not reaching goals you thought you'd reach, or you're not getting to a point where you thought you'd get, uh, the mental, uh, the mental aspects are just started to sink in. Which I know, I think, uh, well, I know that depression and anxiety and stuff like that are common after accident, but it seemed like that's really when the the depression and the anxiety and stuff. Started, started to uh, affect me when I realized that how much I'd changed and I wasn't sure how to how to process at all. Throughout all this, my faith was more of a um, like a check, checklist or checkbox type faith where I had to make sure I did certain things, you know, go to church on Sundays and uh, read my Bible a couple of times a week, you know. It, like it almost didn't matter if I got something out of it as long as I made sure I set some time away, set some time aside to read the Bible. My faith was even more based on the don'ts rather than do's. Um, I was trying to avoid certain things. I knew they were bad. And there are so many commandments in the Bible about things that God wants us to do. And those were things that I, um, I guess I just ignored, I guess. Uh, some of those, some of the things he wanted us to do were very challenging. They'd be hard or they'd make us uncomfortable. I read a lot of devotionals and went through a lot, but Jesus Calling seems, I like the way it seems to make you slow down and rest and think about what is Jesus trying to tell me right now? I feel like Jesus Calling is more about listening to Jesus because if we if we um, allow ourselves to uh, block out everything else and uh, set, set aside a time and focus on Him, and then Jesus is going to talk to us, and uh, he may also start bringing people, friends, you know, our uh, godly friends as well alongside that are going to start maybe saying, telling you some of the same things. Many days in the Jesus Calling book have been helpful for me, but there's one in particular that uh, from March 24th that was uh, so appropriate to some of the things that I went through that I'm going through now. And it reads this, it says, This is a time in your life when you must learn to let go of loved ones, of possessions, of control. In order to let go of something that is precious to you, you need to rest in my presence, where you are complete. Take time to bask in the light of my love. As you relax more and more, your grasping hand gradually opens up, releasing your prized possession into my care. You can feel secure, even in the midst of cataclysmic changes, through awareness of my continual presence. The one who never leaves you is the same one who never changes. 
I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. As you release more and more things into my care, remember that I never let go of your hand. Herein lies your security, which one, one in no circumstances can take from you. It didn't make sense to me that I had, I had miraculously survived this accident and had this amazing recovery. Like, why should I? Why would I be depressed? I mean, this is. I should be so excited about this. I got to the point where I had. I was so um, obsessed with writing things down so I wouldn't forget them. Unfortunately, some of that behavior leaked over into my home life. So, if I would misplace something, I used to be so good before my accident patient's name. So if I saw a patient out, I would know exactly who that was. And not only would I know <laughs> what their medical problems were, I would know their name and, you know, their kids' names. Um, I had such, and I still do have such a hard time remembering people's names. I'll recognize them. And I can remember a lot of things about them, but I cannot remember their name. And when that would happen, and my wife could see it in my eyes because um, I would say, what is their name? And she could tell, like, I could not do anything else until I thought of who that, what their name was. Like, but, but how much is too much? That's the thing. Like I was trying, I had to try like how much is too much or, cause if I don't, if I don't do some of these things, then I'm going to forget stuff all the time or I'm going to have a hard, if things aren't extremely organized, if my day's not extremely structured, I'm just going to be a mess. So I know it's frustrating sometimes that I can't go outside and, uh, it's frustrating to my kids that I can't go outside when I get, you know, when they go from school to go play cause I'm just so tired or for whatever reason, um, but uh, they're, uh, they've been able to process it, understand that far greater than I would have at their age. And uh, I think my, uh, my wife's been the same way. She's just been able to explain to people, like, this is why Jeff does this, and uh, this is why he's doing that, or why he, he can't come. Or I'm not going to come tonight because he's just so tired or what that, but she's just been so understanding of everything. So in... Uh, January of 2016, that's when my neurologist instructed me to stop practicing medicine. So I had to retire from medicine. I was 34 years old at the time. When I had to retire, that's kind of like threw me for a loop. It was like, what am I going to do now? You know, when you're working in a small town and you've been a doctor there for 10 years, that's kind of what you're known as. That's your identity. And with a brain injury, you know, if you were, if you were to see you walking down the street, you would think, you know, Jeff looks fine, you know. So I think it was kind of hard for me to keep keep on living there um, as a doctor, but not being the doctor. So um, I started talking to my wife about the possibility of moving. And uh, she she was, um, again, we were living in her hometown and all our family and stuff. So um, it was really hard. It was really a hard decision to make for her, but I think she, she felt like it was the best thing for our family. Cause I didn't talk much at that point about all these things that the way God had been moving my life and the things that God had been teaching me, um, the things I was learning. I, I hadn't talked too much about it yet. I started uh, like writing journal entries. I go to the library or uh, there's a little coffee shop in town. I go there and you know, just write a journal a few times a week. I go write something out and uh, eventually like I'm gonna maybe start sharing this. I'm gonna show a few of my friends what I've been writing, see what they think, and see if they think it's if it's good or whatever. See if it helps them out at all. So um, I started this blog up. We moved down here. It just so happened that the guy that helped me start my blog lived in Franklin, so we became friends. And 
Um, I was talking to him a lot and he started saying, I think you should write a book about this. In fact, I think that maybe the first time I talked to him on the phone, he even said that. And I kind of like, yeah, whatever. I'll, I'm not an author. <laughs> I'm just going to try this. I'm going I'm to try this blogging thing for a while. I'm not sure if that'll even work out. Um, but as I did more and more blogging, he said, I think, I think he write a book about this stuff. He helped me write like a book proposal and I pitched that out to people and, you know, it didn't take long. I got an offer, an offer from a publisher and now I have this book. But I think there are gonna be a lot of opportunities for me to, to spread my message. So I'm looking forward to that. What I grew up believing was if something makes you uncomfortable, don't do it. But the truth is there's a lot, of, there's a lot of things in the Bible that God calls us to do. And it's not always going to be comfortable, and because He knows that when we, when we do things that are uncomfortable, that's when we grow and when we get when our faith gets stronger. You can learn more about Jeff's experience in his new book, Finding Normal. If you're inspired by these stories and would like to hear more about the ways God can help us through our darkest moments, check out our interview with NFL linebacker Mark Herslick and his wife Danielle. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we speak with Bishop Dr. Derek Greer. Dr. Greer is the founder of Grace Church in Virginia, one of the fastest growing churches in America. When we spoke with Dr. Greer, he reminded us of the wonderful things that happen in our faith journey when we get to know Jesus a little more. I think if we're really learning and if we're really growing and if we're really gaining a revelation of who he is, there would be a constant breathlessness and a constant level of gratitude that's not forced. So I would say that each of us, we need to press into really knowing him. Do you love hearing these stories of faith weekly from people like you whose lives have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling Stories of Faith podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review so that we can reach others with these inspirational stories. And you can also see these interviews on video as part of our original web series, with a new interview premiering every other Sunday on Facebook Live. Find previously broadcast interviews on our YouTube channel on IGTV or on JesusCalling.com video.